Ephesians as we continue to go through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that was in Ephesus. We'll be looking again this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 7. Our text this morning is actually going to be verse 11. And the title of this morning's message is An Inheritance. But let's get the context of it, or at least some of the context of it. Here the Apostle Paul, writing to this church, says, In whom, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure, uh, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. We'll leave off reading there in verse 12. The Apostle Paul instructed the church at Ephesus that worship flows from the heart of God's children as they understand the biblical foundation of God's salvation. The more they understand of what God has done to save sinners, the more worship flows out of their heart. After telling them that all the spiritual blessings that they will have in their life come from God, he begins to list those blessings. In verse 4, he speaks of the blessing of divine election and then move to the blessing of predestination and adoption. And in verse 5, he speaks of the blessing of being accepted in the presence of God, who is a holy God. And then goes on, and after that, taught their, that their acceptance was based upon the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ, who accomplished redemption for sinners, there in verse 7. And not only redemption, but also forgiveness of sins. And then he exalted God, the apostle did, by teaching them that the wisdom and prudence of God was working out their salvation. It began in eternity past, and he, in divine wisdom and great love and care, was working out his plan to save sinners from their sins. After that, he taught them that God's mysteries, which had been kept secret through the whole of the Old Testament, were going to be revealed unto them in New Testament times. And we looked at some of those over several weeks after 
that he says that uh, he would also involve them then the gathering together in one all things in Christ, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, both which are in heaven and in earth, as the very purpose of God in sending his son was to gather together all of his children in one great body so that the vision between Jew and Gentile and, 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 and sinners and brother and sister and father and children would all be removed and God would be binding them up in one. And then says uh, in verse 11 that that gathering together or uh, included, a, or verse 10 that is, included a spiritual inheritance which was reserved in heaven by God for them and finally included that all God's people, all Christians, culminating in praising God for the grace of God in their salvation. Verse 12. He also tells the church that all the blessings of God flow to them on the basis of the pure mercy of God and not on anything that they have done. He uses phrases like that in verse 11 where he says, uh, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So accomplishing the task of saving sinners according to his own purpose as it is being worked out in time. And we, 2,000 years after this was written, some 2,000 years after this was written, are still experiencing the very things that the Apostle Paul wrote here to this church. Paul does not hesitate to repeat this truth over and over again. He keeps throwing out phrases like, God did this according to His will. God did this according to His purpose. God did this because that's what God was going to do. Well, he didn't exactly phrase it that way, but that's what he means. Why does he repeat himself so often? Why is he hammering on this theme that if you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because you did something for God, but because God did something for you? Why? Well, brethren, because it's true. Because it's true. All the religions of the world will say to you, the only way you're going to get to heaven is if you do something for God and you've got to do just enough for you to get into heaven. And the scripture opens up and says, if you're going to get into heaven, God's got to do something from you. He changes you from the inside out. Starts with a new heart, new life. And He changes you. And that's the theme of the, of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And it is particularly the theme of the New Testament. And so he repeats himself and he repeats himself. And, uh, and uh, he does so, as Peter said, I put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them. You say, Brother Pat, I've heard that already. Yeah, well, it's not finished yet. We're going to keep on hearing. We can't get out of this chapter without hearing it again and again. I have a, a, in my library a series of books uh, on the book of Ephesians written by a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. 
Chapter 1 has 23 verses in it. He wrote a book with 447 pages on chapter 1. And the conclusion of the matter is, he didn't scratch the surface. I got another book in my library that's about that thick. And it's written by two Puritans. Uh, Thomas Goodwin's one of them on Ephesians. It's 1,500 plus pages long with print that you have to have magnifying glass to read. 1,500 pages and they didn't complete their exposition of the book of Ephesians. You say, Brother Pat, is all that necessary? It's more than necessary, really. If we're going to understand God's salvation, we're going to have to understand it from God's perspective, not from ours. Not from the perspective of any religion, but from what God says. And so... Paul is repeating himself, and Paul is repeating himself, and he's repeating himself again, and he does so, hammering away at this truth. If you are a Christian, it is because God has made you a Christian. And that should stir your heart to worship Him. That should stir your heart to be in the house of God on the Lord's Day. That should stir your heart to love God's people, to love God for what He's done for you, because you couldn't accomplish you couldn't accomplish it, but God could. How often have I prayed, Lord, Lord, only you can solve this problem. I can't. I don't have the means, I don't have the ability, but you do. And to call upon him to do what only God can do. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 opens up, in whom? We have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. In whom? This is Paul's, one of Paul's favorite phrases. And it is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this teaches us here is that God doesn't do anything in the realm of 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 his of working on the earth unless he does it through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything God does for his creation is through the one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is taught throughout the scriptures and it is important for us to understand outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing done whether for the lost, to feed them, to give them life and breath and all things, or whether for the saved, to give them the physical blessings that they need and also the spiritual blessings. Nothing happens on this earth unless it comes from God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is another theme that he's hammering away and hammering away to focus our minds, our hearts, not upon the prophets, not upon the preachers, not upon what you think, but upon the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In whom? In whom? Everything flows to us by way of Jesus Christ. By his redemption, we have been bought with a price. And we are now owned by our God. 
by his redemption and the free grace of our God, eternal life has been bestowed upon us. We are forgiven of all of our sins. We are united in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means, which means that we are God's inheritance and that we have an inheritance from God. Those two truths are bound up in what Paul is saying here. Two things. God has done what He has done for us through His Son because we are His. And we receive from God an inheritance from Him that was not ours and not owed to us, but came to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to look at this morning. In whom also... Don't lose track of that word because it becomes very critical. In whom also we have obtained or we have received an inheritance. What Paul is saying here in this verse is besides making known unto us all the mysteries of God relating to Christianity, relating to God's salvation, relating to the Son of God, besides making known unto us all those mysteries, God also, God also has determined to bestow an inheritance upon us. And the two of those things cannot be separated. In fact, beginning in verse 3, every time Paul speaks and adds another blessing upon another blessing, upon another blessing, another doctrine listed again and again. He uses the word and. Here he uses the word also. It is a Greek word that means that God is piling these things on in such a way as they cannot be separated from one, one another. That each blessing is tied together in such a way as they all come together in a package for us. And if you got one of them, you got them all. There's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Amen. We have all the blessings of God in Christ Jesus if we are in Christ Jesus. Every one of them. The word also, by the way, is a, those you want to search this out. Kahi. It is the Greek word that, that speaks of putting things together so they cannot be separated. So they're bound together as though they were one. In the Old Testament, the word inheritance applies to a, mostly to physical blessings, but it does also apply to spiritual blessings. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to go through the scriptures and see what God calls his inheritance, uh, physically and spiritually. First, the inheritance of God does not just belong to the Christians. A certain aspect of God's inheritance. In the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 32. I want you to turn there. Now Paul here in Ephesians 1 is talking only to Christians. And he's talking about the spiritual blessings and inheritance that belongs to them. But when you study the word inheritance. What you're going to find out is. That some physical things are God blessing those who are not saved. And calling that blessing their inheritance. Deuteronomy 32 verse 8. 
Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 says, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, okay? When He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. What this verse is teaching us here is that every nation on the face of the earth was given land to be theirs. And God said, this is your inheritance. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. God divided up the sons of Adam. And this probably took place in the days of Noah as God divided the world up between the sons of Noah. You can study that in the book of Genesis. God gave Israel their land as an inheritance for them. Most of us believe that the land that Israel came into possession of was a gift from God and God's inheritance to them. We seldom want to connect that that same act of God giving land to the other nations is also their inheritance. We don't want to oftentimes go that far. But that's what the Scriptures teach us in Deuteronomy 32 in verse 8. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 9, he said, For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. Now, what we begin to see here is that the word inheritance refers to two things. One, that which belongs to God. And secondly, that which God bestows on others. Israel is God's inheritance, the lot, the allotment out of all the nations that God took up as His inheritance was Israel. That's what Deuteronomy 32 verse 9 is teaching us. Now, the psalmist comes along in Psalm 105 verse 11 and he says, Sing unto thee uh, will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance. The land of Canaan became the inheritance of the nation of Israel. But in with that, Israel became God's inheritance among the nations. Now there's a lot to study about that, but I want you to see and understand how the word is used in the Old Testament. And that is that there is land, there is something physical that God gives to even the lost, that he says this is your inheritance. You know, I mean, men have passed in their inheritance down to their children for generations. I hope to leave a little for my children and grandchildren. And I hope that that's in your heart. You say, I don't have much. Well, I'm not talking about how much it is. I'm just talking, do you have something to leave? And you're going to have something at the end of your life to leave for your children. Well, that's been going on for a long time. And it's usually a physical thing. Usually a physical thing. For the child of God, they hope to leave a spiritual impact along with the physical things. They hope to leave a spiritual testimony as their children reflect upon the life of their mother or their father and they said, this is what I got from my mom, this is what I got from my dad, but you know what else I got? They taught me something about God. They taught me something about the scripture. They taught me that something in, was more important than what I could lay my hands on here in this world. 
that what I can lay my hands on in this world is going to perish one day. And what I need is something spiritual, something more significant, something more lasting. And so, it is used in a spiritual sense in the Old Testament. Psalm 33, verse 12. Psalm 33, verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people whom He hath chosen for His inheritance. And again, a reference, I think, to Israel. But past Israel, past the physical nation, to a spiritual application. The spiritual application of the truth in Psalm 33, verse 12, is that all of God's adopted children... All of those redeemed by Jesus Christ, all who are saved by the grace of God, are God's inheritance among the nations. That out of all the nations of the world, God has chosen some out of all those nations to be His. And that blessing comes to them through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. So two truths emerge out of the Old Testament concerning the word inheritance. The first truth is that the earth was divided as an inheritance among the nations. Now you know a little history, don't you? Nations look at another nations and say, I want that. And that was their inheritance, but I want that. That's what God gave them, but I want it. And they're not going to articulate it like that. Some of them don't believe in God. And so they try to take it away from them. And what happens? War. We're seeing it happen right in front of us today. Right in front of us. And so you've got an inheritance, a physical one. The truth of the whole of the scripture is that physical thing can be taken away from you. It can be. And often will be. The Bible talks about robbers and thieves and those that come in and steal and warn the children of God that they should be laying up treasure in heaven so that it couldn't be stolen. Amen. And it wouldn't rust and wouldn't be corrupted. Put something in heaven that is worth giving God the glory for. Because everything on this side is going to be lost one day. And so, the first truth revealed in the Old Testament is that inheritance uh, is a piece of land. God divided among the nations. And then the second truth is that God, Israel, was God's inheritance among the nations. And the spiritual application of that is God has a people that belong to him. And the whole of the scripture reveal it. Coming to the New Testament. The New Testament also uses the word inheritance. And it has two meanings also. One is, those who are God's people are God's inheritance, God's lot, God's choice. The other is, that God bestows upon them an inheritance that is spiritual. Our spiritual inheritance comes to us from God. When we are justified by His grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the scriptures. Titus chapter 3 verse 7. Titus chapter 3, verse 7 says that being justified 
by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In justifying us, we were made heirs of what God was going to bestow upon us. If you are here this morning and you are not saved, if you are here this morning and you are not forgiven by God Himself, if you are here this morning and you have not had your sins removed by Jesus Christ and you are saved from your sins and brought into eternal life by Jesus Christ, if that has not happened, you do not have a part in the inheritance of God. Only those who have been saved by the grace of God have a part in the inheritance of God. But, the second truth is this. Our inheritance is received when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two truths go together. When we believe on Christ, God justifies us and declares us to be free from all sin. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, the Scripture says concerning the ministry of the Apostle Paul to open their eyes. Do you see how often Paul talks about his responsibility to do something, to open their eyes. Well, Paul, don't you know your own doctrine teaches that only God can open eyes? You know, Paul didn't struggle over these things like we did today. He just said, my ministry is to open their eyes. My ministry is to use the Word of God to open your eyes to some truths of the Scriptures. I understand what God has to do in the middle of that. That's... God's business, but my ministry is to open your eyes to some truth. Here is what he says, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God. Why? To what end? That they might receive what? First, forgiveness of sins. Secondly, an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. There it is. My responsibility as a preacher is to preach in such a way as your eyes are open to the truth of the Scriptures and to turn your mind from the way that you are thinking about salvation to God's way of thinking in order that you might be saved, that you might be free of your sins, and that you would gain an inheritance in Jesus Christ. And I'll do the best that a man can do from my but my abilities to try to help you to understand what salvation is from God's perspective. Thirdly, our inheritance is only received if we persevere in the faith. This is the truth of the Scriptures. The Bible speaks of many that followed Jesus and then heard some truth and turned around and left and would not follow Him anymore. They were glad to eat at his table. They were glad to witness the miracles. They were glad to see God working things on the earth that they had not seen before. But when he pressed them on their responsibility of true Christianity, they said no. And they turned back from walking with him. Well, they didn't persevere to the end. And it proved that they were not what they said they were in the beginning. The scripture says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children, if we are children of God, well then we're heirs. Those two truths are bound together. If you're a child of God, if you have believed on Jesus, if you are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, you are an heir of God. 
And then Paul says, an heir of God. Second statement. If you're a child, then an heir. And then comma, and heirs of God. And join heirs with Christ. If, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. If so be that we continue through the, through the thick and the thin of it as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. If so be that if you have a new heart, the reality is you're going to follow after Christ and the others may leave and they may fall off and they may, they may never return, but not you. So he turns to the twelve after the thousands, perhaps, perhaps 20,000. I'm talking about John chapter 6 where he had fed the multitude and they had followed him and then he preached a message that was too hard for them and they left. And then he turns to the twelve and he says, well, will you also leave? And uh, to a man they said, oh, where are we going to go? Peter, Peter talks for the whole group. Where are we going to go? You are the only ones with the, with the words of life. If we want ever, everlasting life, we want to know who God is, we have to follow you. Amen. And yet one of the twelve was Judas Iscariot, who only a few short months or perhaps a short time later, more than a year or so, would come to the place where he would reject the Lord Jesus Christ and deny him. Turn him over to the murderers that nailed him at Calvary's cross. When God does a work in the heart of a child of God, he changes them. This is what we believe. The scriptures teach. We believe that the grace of God does something in the, to change that person. That everyone here that has been genuinely converted could stand and say, this is what I was. But God saved me. And I'm not that anymore. It's not that I've arrived or that I'm perfect or that I somehow or another think that I have something more than, than anybody else, but I am not what I used to be. God has changed me. Not only that, I can't go back to what I used to be. I can't. Why can't you? Well, I just can't. Why can't you? Well, I don't want to. Well, what changed? Because you wanted to then, but now you don't want to. What changed? God did something to change my want to. From wanting to do that to wanting to do this. God did something. And so since, since, uh, since July of 75, by the help of God, I'm still here. I haven't died yet. And there is, there is temptation and struggle and trial yet to face me. There is. For 40 some years, it's been there. And from now until the day that I step out of this life into, into glory, it's going to be there. You think all of a sudden, uh, sin is going to say, well, I'm through with him. He's, not going to, I'm never, he's never going to sin again. I don't leave that fellow alone. You know, look at him. Satan's going to say, no, I don't want to bother him anymore. You think the enemies of God are going to say, leave him alone after all these years. What are we going to do? They're going to try to destroy me. That's what they're going to try to do. Like, just like they're going to try to destroy you. And God's people 
whatever happens, though they fall, they are not going to remain down because their God is going to pick them back up. Dust them off and put them back on the road. If we persevere, then we have an inheritance. All that is saying is, if you're a genuine Christian, you have an inheritance. Because genuine Christians persevere. That's all that's saying. That's not adding works to salvation. All that is saying, if God has changed you, you're going to continue. You're going to continue to change. It wasn't you that changed you. It wasn't the priest that changed you. It wasn't, it wasn't the preacher that changed you. It wasn't the, the waters of the baptism pool that changed you. That's not what changed you. God did something. And because God did something, it's going to continue. And so our inheritance is received in the realm of true Christianity, and true Christianity involves persevering to the end. And number four, our inheritance is preserved for us by God and not by us. Now, every one of us in this room knows something about having a few dollars in our pocket and losing it. Because we did something foolish, right? Well, let me speak for myself. I know something about having a few dollars in my pocket and losing it because I did something foolish. The rest of you can answer for yourself. But I know that is true. And I probably lost more than I have today accumulated. Thrown away with my own hands out of my own foolishness. So God didn't say, here's your inheritance, Pat. You take good care of it. No, 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 no. No. God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an inheritance, but I'm going to take care of it for you. And not one bit of it's going to be lost because I'm keeping care, taking care of it for you. That's what the Scripture says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Listen to the Scriptures. To an inheritance that Paul or Peter defines it is incorruptible and undefiled. That's not the world. That's not the things of the world. Those are all corruptible and those are all able to be defiled. Men have defiled the land that God has given them. They have. We know that. If you've got some land, you need to take care of it. Do what you can. I taught my children coming up. You get something... You take care of it, and if you borrow something, you better return it in as good a shape as you got it, or better. Don't ruin what someone has given you. You ought to teach your children that when you give them a toy. Teach your children that when they got clothes. What are you doing playing in the mud in those clothes? You're supposed to go, what? I just bought those for you. You ever said that to your kid? All right, I'm the only one, all right? <laughs> to take care of what God gives us takes a lot of energy on our part. But God takes care of His inheritance for us. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Not reserved on this earth. Reserved in heaven for you. Scripture goes on, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, 
who are kept by the power of God. I'm not holding on to my salvation. God is. I'm not holding on to God. God's holding on to me. We got this idea about Christianity that God somehow or another put his little finger down and you're holding on. <laughs> and we're walking through life holding on the best we can. But that is the opposite of the scriptures. God reached down and laid hold on my hand. And it's walking me through this earth. How many of you gone into a crowded store with a three-year-old and you did this to them? And you walked with them and they're doing this and that and they're, and they're wanting to run here and you've got a hold on them. Why? Because you don't want to lose them in that crowded store, right? If the world can think like that, how much more God? I laid hold on you, God says, and I'm not letting you go. You're kept by my power. You're not keeping your salvation by your power. To an inheritance. In whom also, on top of everything else I've been talking about, we have an inheritance. And, and I'm already out of time and I haven't got to verse 12 yet. And that inheritance being predestinated. We've already run into that word and let me quickly say what we learned about that word is God predetermines how it's going to come out. And God in eternity past predestinated that His inheritance would be given to all of His children. God determined that. God did. I'm going to give them something. Something that's mine. Something of me. They would inherit it in time when they embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they would come into final possession of it when they step out of this life into glory. And that according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. And there it is again. Everything God does, He does according to His purpose and on purpose. And that includes our inheritance. I don't have time to open the rest of this up because I'm, I'm going to wrap this up for us right now at this point. The purpose, part of the purpose of God in having chosen us before the foundation of the world was to ensure that we would be His and that everything that belonged to Him would be ours through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now you're thinking, Brother Pat, will I be rich in heaven? But we're walking on gold streets, brother. No, you're walking on a gold street. You might want to look that up. It's not plural. I, every once in a while, throw something out for you to search out, okay? It's not the streets of glory. We're walking on a gold street, brother. Well, I have some of that in my pockets. When God gives you something, it's spiritual. When God makes you rich, it's rich in the spiritual things of God. Now, hey, there's a home there for us. We know that. And God pulled back the curtain of heaven and gave us a little glimpse, and we know that much about heaven. And so we got a taste of it. But in the end, our inheritance is about God. Amen. Not about physical things in glory. Oh, what about the new earth, brother? What about... 
Get your mind and heart set upon God and the living God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're focused on Him, those thoughts come flying out of the window. I got a mansion over the hilltop. No, you got glory if you're a Christian. You got Christ over the hilltop if you're a Christian. These songs we sing, and I, I understand the sentiments of them. And in some ways, I don't want to kind of demolish the whole thing. But it's not about that. It's not about what you can touch and taste and feel. It's about glory. It's about heaven. It's about God himself. Well, Brother Pat, why can't you explain it? Because it's like trying to explain God. What is it? I've been looking to, in my commentaries all week to see if I can find out what the inheritance is. I know what the A is on the earth. That part's clear. But the other part, what is it? Well, it's, it has to do with salvation. It has to do with God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It has to do with, with being rich in spiritual blessings. It has to do with something about being glorified and being in glory and sharing that with God Himself. And it has to do something that is spiritual that I can't, Put into words. And maybe some of you who are wiser than me can help me out here. And say, this is what it is, brother. But I know this much. When God changes your heart and saves you, he puts you on a road that is spiritual. Gives you eyes to see that which is invisible. Ears to hear the voice of God and the Word of God gives you a relationship with the living God that the world doesn't have. Makes you a son and he's your father and you know something about that relationship never going to end. And uh, some of us in this room can talk about how not being raised in good homes. But I can tell you this, the house of God is a good home. God the Father is a faithful God. Faithful to His children. That much I got. I'm not going to tell you what I did have, but that much I got. And whatever it is He wants to give me, He's going to bestow it upon me richly through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you don't have that outside of Christ. You don't have it. And only in Christ Jesus the Lord do you have something like that. And if outside of Christ, if you have no relationship with Him, the day is coming when you'll be separated from everything that is physical and you have nothing in the pit, in the lake of fire. Nothing. While the child of God basks in the riches of glory bestowed upon him by his Father in heaven through his Son, Jesus Christ. Come to the Lord, Jesus Christ. He will not cast you out. If you're a sinner, you need your sins forgiven. You come to Jesus Christ, you'll find him to be a Savior able to save you to the uttermost and to keep you saved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd bless your word and that you would encourage and strengthen those here who have heard it, and that 